Welcome to the Talking Footy Podcast. This is Brad Sewell, and we caught up with Rodney Rockerdee, 15 years, of course, a player at Hawthorne, 259 games, four premierships, notwithstanding his 377-game coaching career with Sydney, Western Bulldogs, and the Gold Coast. He's a Tasmanian team of the Century member, and, as we found out today, a world champion sledger. We're talking footy. Rocket. Thank you for joining us. Actually, before we, am I sitting on the right side of you here before we start? I've always thought of that already, mate. Yeah, because it's smart. Yeah. What, how did you lose it? What happened? Are you uh, born deaf in one ear? No, no, I don't know. I was playing senior footy in Hobart when I was 17, and I got knocked out. I got king hit. And then um, about three or four weeks later, I was at a function at the local club, and I thought, I can't hear. So, And then... In those days, you had the old phones, and I got home and put the phone in my ear and got tested, and I was 50% deaf all the way down the drum. And there was always a, they said you should have an hearing aid, but the hearing aids in those days are that. I said, no, yeah. no way. So, come to Melbourne, play, and it's always a source of amusement. And uh, play. <laughs> then, when I was coaching Sydney, my wife in the end said, sick of this, let's go and get tested. So, I was going to do something about it. I went to St. Vincent's, and mm. specialist, and I explained the story, and the specialist said, well, from a trauma to be deaf, you'd have to be in a road accident. <laughs> so, I don't know whether it was a bit of nerve deafness and the hit accelerated it. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm 100% deaf down, all the way down. Notwithstanding your assistant coaching positions, your involvement in the game, media, etc., it's been 31 years, 14 as a player, 17 as a coach, and you've got the reunion this year, 1978 Premiership team. Yeah, 78 Premiership, yeah, they had a reunion a couple of years ago with a... 76 and 86 were there, so it's uh, 70, uh, 78, yeah, so that'll, mm-hmm. be, that'll be interesting. I think 08 you were there as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? So that'll be, that'll be a good night. Yeah, it will be. Change of generations. Some of the uh, some of the old boys mentioned that your nickname for a period of time was a world champ. Uh, that'll be Dunstall Swab <laughs> would be saying that. So, why, uh, why was that? John Kennedy was another. Yeah. Well, like all footy clubs, uh, you always take the P1SS out of each other. Yeah. And uh, it's always uh, happening. And uh, uh, I grew up in my early days at Hawthorne. I very much liked that. Like yeah. that. And, uh, and it continued on. And there was quite a few very good sledges within the mm-hmm. within the. Uh, within the team, so I think we had a sort of a sledge off night one night and see how we went. And, and you got them, and I got the chocolates, so I, I got stuck with that after after that night. So then, the, does that the name Rocket for giving bakes? I'm assuming is that is that sort of an inherent skill in being able to to uh, to blast a player, being able to um, sledge? That's your sort of um, training for it. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think giving the spray to players has been a bit uh, overplayed a bit, but. Uh, uh, that Rob Murphy said, oh, I think you're a bit hard done by it. He said, oh, we didn't see that as much as people think. And I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, you're stuck with that. Um, um, no, I, think, I, I was called Rocket just initially when I first went to Hawthorne. Um, I think all Rodney's were called Rocket, Rod Laver. Oh, and, okay. Rod Laver and uh, Rod Carter was yep. playing at football. So, And there was a cartoon character called Rocket Rod as well. So I was stuck with that. But... Uh, no, it was very much uh, an internal um, club where there was a lot of sledging. Dermot was very good at it. John Kennedy Jr. was very good at it. Dunstall yeah. was very good at it. Um, and still is. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting time. You had to, you had to sink or swim. I bet it was. Um, grew up in Tasmania? Yep. Glenorchy? Glenorchy, yep. Give us a sense of your youth. Um, yeah, enjoyable youth, I think. Uh, even just transferring to Hawthorne, 
one of the presidents uh, said, Doc Ferguson said, embrace Hawthorne, they embrace you. But he said, you got to know where you're going, got to know where you come from. And uh, I was a working class suburb, the black and whites, which every black and white team in Australia are always working class suburbs. I don't know what that, where that, where that comes from, where the consistency of that is. Um, so um, just playing school footy, local team, Glenorchy, played underage there. Um, my father was coach of an amateur team, so that was my early days following them around university, which was an interesting time uh, supporting university students in the late 60s with long hair and smoking dope and wearing uh, wearing thongs. Martin Flanagan played there, who wrote for the age. He yeah. played at university, so knew Martin from a young age. And uh, so that was my youth there, but just in, enjoyed footy and cricket like uh, there wasn't many other options in those days. Yeah. And uh, and then um, played under the thirds at Glonky underage and had a very good side, enjoyed that. And then played senior footy when I was 17. Peter Hudson was coach. So I played under Peter and then he played the second half of that year, got a clearance back. Um, Daryl Sutton, who played premierships at North Melbourne, mm-hmm. he uh, he was playing as well. So we had a quite a good side. And we, what was then the state premiership, won our own league and then the North and Northwest played off and then, and then we played in the Australian Championships all the premiers teams at 75 so North Melbourne West Perth and uh, Nord mm-hmm. I think were the team so that then Peter recommended me to Hawthorne to have a look at me and Daryl Sutton spoke to North Melbourne and a couple of others and I must have played poorly when they watched me so they never spoke to me so Hawthorne was was it yeah and uh, I was very fortunate no very lucky to obviously go to a very good footy club so yeah so, so sliding doors moment and so it was you know positive and you know, watching you now very nostalgic about you know, growing up in Tassie and the, the football down there yeah what's happened oh they've certainly uh, I I think they've got a bit to probably take some blame as well but it's a lot of it's a lot of resources and money to keep it going I don't think we can assume of any uh, footy heartland whether it's country Victoria whether it's Ballarat or yeah. whether it's or suburban footy here or Tassie footy that's just going to roll on because uh, society's changing that quickly um, interests are changing that quickly other sports are invading especially soccer mm-hmm. and I think with the geography of Tassie with the three main areas who don't get on needed to be a better investment there I think uh, need to be more planned mm-hmm. and I think it's just allowed to wither to be honest and I think they have hoped that a, they'd get a senior t- a team down there full time um, so I think Hawthorne have done really well but they're only there part time uh, North now are there but I think they need a real pathway I think they've lost their pathway for youngsters um, because soccer's really making big inroads yeah. um, uh, so um, need to have a pathway need to have an under 18 team in the Tech Cup um, I think they just need to have one team there that will play seven or eight nine games in Tassie and then play six or seven games in Melbourne um, they're away game technically but can be away, be home games for membership etc so that have one team have, an, have a like the Gold Coast and GWS have got to have an academy that yeah. they can have first pick and they in the bidding system so have that pathway then put resources and I think this is the same in, and now being involved in suburban footy here um, under 19 teams are folding um, 
certainly the league I'm involved with, but it'll be happening around. Need to put better coaching resources at the underage level. So and so there's a pathway, and they get better and coach the coaches. So I guess. Ironically, you'd spent three years at the Gold Coast, which was, um, in essence, chosen over Tasmania for the sort of yep. startup club. Yep. Um, which market do you think will be or would have been more successful? Yeah, I think there's different metrics how they're going to measure success. There's obviously the economics of it. Um, uh, there's the success of the team on the field and then conversion of youngsters uh, uh, playing footy, um, or you know, having that pathway, or you know, being involved. Like I can see the the Gold Coast is a growing area. Having, I, I can see the logic of having GWS and Gold Coast in, and but it's going to cost, it's going to take a fair bit of money. Um, I think they would need one in Tassie as well. They just can't let that. There's not as many people in Tasmania, but it's a footy heartland. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Tasmanian government have put in four million dollars of sponsorship to Hawthorne and uh, North Melbourne are over 4 million um, that's equivalent of over two major sponsors for another team so they've got their major sponsor um, uh, so I think economically it would, would, would work in Tassie mm-hmm. um, the north-south thing is a is a divide that, they, that Tasmania need to work out, I think yep. ta- Tasmania themselves need to sort some things out but tourism is really going through the roof now at Tasmania so it's a good time to get involved <laughs> but I don't think they're not going to have an island site, so it's got to be someone yeah. that's going to have to move there. So whoever that is, I don't know. Um, uh, but I think the make it lure is to play nine games, ten games there, and play eight or nine in Melbourne, and then three or four yeah. interstate than that, and those nine games, yeah. Yeah, you've actually got two homes. Just to, um, just to drop back a little bit, talk about your playing career 14 years as a player um, for the most part oh Jesus tell me 15 now 15 years as a player for the most part of course four mm. premierships how do you how do you feel what do you think about when you reflect on your playing career all those years ago yeah it's interesting and talking to guys that I played with who then haven't been involved in footy much it's sort of uh, that, that means a lot to me but it means more that's their attachment I think having coached and been involved with other clubs so much you get distracted from that you sort of don't get caught up in what it was even though you know you, as you're coaching and, and, and never coached a premiership but seeing players that you'd love to uh, experience that mm. then you realise oh, gee I was lucky uh, so I think it's a bit of luck being at the right place at the right time uh, at the right club um, uh, still don't think of the enormity of it. Having four's a four's a big number. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you, have you ever actually reflected? Not too much. No. Why not? I mean, you, your resume is phenomenal. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, but I'm not a I'm an I'm a his, love his history of the world, love Australian yeah. history, love history of sport, love history of AFL, but I'm not an emotional attachment person as in I've got nothing at home that uh, about football I've got no memorabilia mm-hmm. I've got it tucked away but I've got nothing my four medallions I've given two to the uh, museum at Hawthorne I don't know where the other two are <laughs> now that, that I've got regrets about that I don't know I know I should have taken more care I think I sort of said oh well that, that it is what it is and you move on yeah. I was very much 
think of the future you move to the next stage don't yeah. get caught up in too yeah, much because yeah, yeah. I always hate footballers and sports people talking about themselves yeah. and talking about the old days and I, I think I got ingrained in my mind that I don't want to do that and I think to prove that I've detached myself so much uh, <laughs> too much too much yeah and uh, it's interesting um, uh, but um, yeah look it was great times it was it, people now say to me now that I'm not attached with the club and I spoke to the CEO at Hawthorne the other week and mm. then talking to Jeff Kennett and other people I oh, now you will be support Hawthorne which I do but I don't know anyone there really I don't know anyone so it is it's who you play with and the people you're involved with that's what clubs are about as yeah. much so with the reunion this year they'll be, they'll be great it was great two years ago and I hope Hawthorne win I really do because you have got an attachment but it's not deep rooted as in if Hawthorne finished last um, we're struggling with money you'd help them but okay, okay well that's, that yeah, happens yeah. they'll work their way out of it and so so then do you have do you have an affinity with any of the clubs not really my wife and daughter saying what's your fault because I've got no one to follow <laughs> they've got no support because yeah. my daughter was was quite a when you no know, growing up she was only really young when I was at Sydney uh, but the bulldog she really got into it 10 11 12 yeah. years of age and she critiqued the games and um, watch a watch a replay when we got home at night game and sit there on the, on the couch and yeah. and that sort of thing but now she said I don't know now I went to Collingwood that time and oh, I don't know if I can follow Collingwood <laughs> and my sons are the same and then so they don't know who to follow. So playing aside, do you consider yourself a Western Bulldogs or a Sydney? It's interesting. Yeah, I, I probably deep down consider myself a Hawthorne person. Yep. And that, as, it, as, it, as it pans out and the emotions out of it. I probably enjoyed myself at the Western Bulldogs more than anywhere else. Um, it was a really good time, good people. Yep. Um, I, not many people mentioned now, but I was three years an assistant coach at North Melbourne. I really enjoyed my time at North Melbourne. Yeah. It was a terrific club. Yeah. Very much like Hawthorne with no money. And yeah. um, the people were there for the right reason. I think you really get it. And that's what I loved about the Bulldogs, that the soul of the earth, really good people, um, not there for the wrong reason. Some people involved in AFL 40 are there for the fanfare, especially the non-players. Yeah. They want to be seen media-wise or pump themselves up or happy to get on the TV and uh, talk about themselves. Well, I, I think you know, the, you know, the Bulldogs people were terrific people. At, at which club were you the better coach? Which group did you get the most out of? Um, yeah, I think the Bulldogs. I think uh, we had a reasonably talented side in the end, but I think, you know, we... You know, we achieved a fair bit. Unfortunately, we didn't get to the grand final and fell short a couple of times. There's three, three prelims. Three prelims. Right. Probably the one in 2009 was the one that actually got away. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But, uh, but, but it was a good group. It was a really good group who uh, worked hard and won success. Except for your mate Lakey, he was <laughs> no, he was fun, Brian. I enjoyed Brian. He was, he was a good stick going on here too, haven't you? Yeah, he's he's a, he's a funny bloke. He really makes me laugh. Yeah. So, um, and I like humour. Uh, people probably don't see publicly see that, no. but I really like humour. And I was really relaxed before every game and have a bit of a joke. And then the two hours in match day, you're a bit of lunatic. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that you, you're okay. Yeah. What What was it about coaching? That you enjoyed. What was your, what was your why? What was so rewarding about it for you? Yeah, it's an interesting. I think seeing players improve, 
players take it, take the message on board. Like the moment, just even even coaching Baldwin, um, and we're implementing some different methods. Yep. Don't call it style, but different methods of how to defend and how to attack. And they're really embracing it. So the education part, where people learn, and then what you're putting across, they'll come up and say, "Oh, I can see how that works." And uh, and then getting some enthusiasm out of that. So that was so seeing individuals improve, and then seeing a group. Um, actually buy into what you're trying to what, what you're trying to talk about so because yeah. um, younger days I didn't want to be coach I didn't ever want to be coach David Parkin was the first one to introduce in retrospects and reviews and so it's his fault spelled out no no not at all no not a players would say to me you're different in other years and they'd say oh you know that you're coach because it was quite an analytical person and yeah. think about why why we do things why can't we do this and talk to Genji about times and I think why don't we do A and B and and then and I thought no I don't want to coach I don't want to coach so I'd throw all his notes out that did to me to convince the world that I didn't want to coach yeah, yeah. so and then no inclination and it's a bit of the sliding doors really I think if I'd stayed at Hawthorne my whole career I might have played another premiership might not have but that they did mm-hmm. um, whether you're good enough or whatever but you never know might have made an opportunity so it was a worse decision to go to the Brisbane Bears football wise but it was a career yeah. changing so a sliding door moment then I was offered the second job Norm Dare virtually forced me to take it and then I enjoyed it and it sort of took off from there were there aspects you didn't enjoy what was it what made you feel most uncomfortable what did you dislike most about being a coach um, I cope with the media okay that that wears you down you can see coach, <coughs> you can see coaches grey overnight and, mm. oh, um, yeah. and you see them change and lined and and the pressure that it comes in, it's more self-pressure as much as anything, but you do get in, you know, supporters and media and criticism boards and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that that was part of the job that you didn't really enjoy, but that was okay. Um, I think it was more the grind of dealing with the politics and then the lies that you get told and the bullshit that goes on behind yeah. and the people can't be up front. And that wears you down in the end. Like, I, I don't know how long, what did I cut? 17 years or something. Yeah. So at each place, it probably wore you down a little bit, that. But in the end, it was like, oh, I don't think I need this. You just just don't want it. It's just... Uh, so that's something that, uh, you know, it's Marvel. Marvel Kevin shooty to be able as long as he, mm. as he did. And, and you work out. Well, I think you've got to be up for that fight. And I think I think Malthouse was up for it. In the end, I, I probably was okay with it. But, yeah. yeah. <coughs> if not with um, you know, knowing what you know now, would you have taken on the Gold Coast role? No, I've said that before, and I got criticised by Robert Walls and a couple of others for saying that. And perhaps I shouldn't have said that publicly. Perhaps uh, um, and this is not being nasty and dirty about it. I no. I got approached to do it, and uh, then I probably had a niche. And I, I had a gut feeling: do I really want to go and do it? But I like coaching. And um, uh, my wife said no. Um, the rest of the family said yes. So it was a family discussion. I didn't. That was a big decision because mm. my daughter was going into year twelve. She wasn't going to come to the Gold Coast. So there's a whole range of different variables. Um, but if I knew what I 
what I knew after 12 months even. Yeah. No, because the second year the injuries were, were diabolical. Um, so we end up with your whole midfield not playing, your best five not playing. And I think Sydney proved that a bit last year. They their midfield out and they struggled to win. So, and they're a really good side. So, yeah, that first year was a bit eye-opening. And uh, you go, I thought they're at a stage where they're ready for more education and ready to go and learn about footy as such. And take them next. but it was really back to basics and really, really some, put some foundations in. Yeah, is. Do you feel a sense of pride or any attachment when you watch them now? Um, I haven't seen many of their games because they're mainly on a Saturday. So um, it's more individuals. Again, I, I had a pretty good relationship with the players, actually, most of them. So so you sort of get an attachment to those guys and you like them doing well. Um, uh, I won't keep in touch with them during the season because I think that's puts them in, in an uncomfortable position. I don't know how ex-coaches can do that, to be honest. But I did pre-season and wish them all the best and had a drink and a lunch before we went and kept in touch with quite a few. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I hope they do well. I do. I really do hope they do well. I think it's... it's now they're going younger again, I think it'll take a bit of time, but yeah. uh, I think they'll be okay. Some of, the, some of the individuals that you've coached over the journey, Lockett, Kelly... Goods, Barry Hall, Jason Ackermanis, Scotty West, Brad Johnson. What what made Little Gaz Ablett so different? <laughs> Gee, you got pointed there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone that's everyone's a, the superstar's got their own nuances and the quirks, and they the idiosyncrasies that make them a little bit different. Yeah. The common thread with all of them, they're pretty focused on being the best they can be. Yeah. Um, and Gaz is no different. He was pretty, very competitive and um, probably similar to, similar but completely different to Tony Lockett is that they had a way that they knew would get them to play well on the weekend and that's the way they focused. So did, did Plugger tell you? I had a good relationship with Tony. I really liked coaching yeah. him. He was a he was a different unit. But uh, did you coach him? I, did Did you actually I, I, coach him? Yes, uh, it was interesting because uh, that was my first coaching yeah. job, and I and it's silly to assume, but because some of these players are far better footballers than I was, you think well they know how to play the game. They'll be right, and you realise after a while that Tony's got as many insecurities as any other player. And then you start to think the better players have got their own uh, aims and goals and standards that they want to meet. So they get nervous about that and they've got some doubts. And then if things aren't working well, how their mind thinks. So I suppose you end up being an amateur psychologist as a coach. So, yeah, you sit down and have a chat with with Tony and talk about his footy. And um, no, he's a very private person, kept everything in-house. But... Like Gary, it's more about they knew what their bodies were like. They knew what they needed to do. A bit superstitious in many ways. Yep. This is what I need to do. Um, so that's that's where Gaz, he'd, he'd do extras at night. He'd come in at 8 o'clock at night and get his body right. But then he'd just cruise through training to get himself right for the weekend. So it was a bit of... Um, uh, a bit of consistency about what they what they did, but there was a bit of uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, um, I suppose 
you know, the good luck charm, this is the way I do it, and that's yeah. why they're a bit of superstition. And, I mean, how hard is that? It's a team sport, right? How hard is that to juggle those idiosyncrasies or those insecurities, whatever it might be, um, for the team? Good, good team. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonably easy to manage as long as you're consistent there's probably parameters you don't want players to go outside but within those parameters there's a fair bit of scope to look if you're going to give Tony Lockett a weekend off pre-season you've got to be prepared to give an 18 year old why as, though I mean Tony, Tony Lockett has done everything and he knows his body they should be an 18 year old or a, a junior should be no if he's going same. away fishing or something like that so not just a weekend off. Yeah, so yeah. they want to go away. So, yeah, you, you talk to and get to know the young lad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was probably harder on younger guys than I was older blokes because kids don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And I think if you let them get away with things and give them too much scope, too much rope, it's pretty hard to pull them back when they're 22 and 23 and they develop bad habits mm-hmm. or the wrong habits. So it's all about become habit-forming. Mm-hmm. And that's my belief. And so it was a bit more... The parameters probably aren't as wide, but like if you're playing for you know you know you travel, and Tony wants to stay down to see his family, that's fine. But if an 18 year old kid wants to stay yeah, down yeah. to see his I think that's consistent. Yeah. You can't say no, you can't do it. Um, and always, always trust players, and always say you don't have to earn the trust. I'll give you the trust, but if you blow it, then you don't get it back. Yeah, that's sort of the Burley Wall, and you, and that's that's through your action. So if they do the wrong thing while they stay down, or they tend to tell a few fibs or whatever they actually get caught out so they'd lose that trust but yep. but most of the blokes are pretty good so um, it's just a matter of developing a relationship and have a chat with them and this is what your requirements are if this is going to happen they would be and see no you need to do some extra you need to catch up on this yep. so it's more with the younger players if that happened which which never really did to be honest but they would do extra sessions to make that up the older blokes should know that their bodies are right and they know they know they're right to go yeah I'd imagine um, Acker would have been one of the more interesting guys yeah, he's coach. probably the most difficult in yeah. many ways. Um, but again, like Tony and, and Gaz, he had his set ideas and very strong-minded about what he needed to do. Yeah. Um, trying to coach him as areas that he can improve probably uh, didn't want to accept at times. That, and that he, I mean, he's not the only one. Some players are very difficult to get across. They think they know how to play the game. and. Um, but he, yeah, so yeah, he was, he was, while he's playing well, he was good. When things, he wasn't playing bad, then it, that was, that was a difficult situation because it was never, I mean, it, it was, was never Jason's fault. No, he was very disruptive there for a period. Yeah, yeah, I think the Bulldogs players handled him really well. I mean, he didn't see it that way, but um, I think the Brisbane group was a bit more blunt and stronger with him. We probably, playing group tried to mould him and guide him into yep. certain areas but I mean got to the stage in the end that it wasn't working so just have to have to move on who, who was one of the most rewarding players that you coached who do you I think as a coach you always you always love players or respect players who have had to fight against the odds yep and uh, no Matthew Boyd Daniel Cross Matthew Boyd was playing for Franks and Seconds, yeah. and then All Australian captain of the club, and I just just through work rate, you know, had some yeah. talent. But Daniel Cross, 
you know, they used to laugh and joke about him. He'd put that alarm clock on for three o'clock so he can go and do 50 push-ups, 50 sit-ups and do 100 ground balls. Like, that's a sort of yep. lunacy that he was just so focused. And, yep. um, and you get those guys who, I suppose, maximise their talent or even get more out of themselves than you think you respect. And Paul Kelly was like that. You know, he just respected him so much. He's probably the toughest player I've, I've coached. Yep. And just uh, his ability to play with pain and never complain and just, just get on with it. Um, but it's those sort of players who, and even the talented ones who maximise their talent by working hard. There's not many in my time who didn't have a great work rate. No, I was really thrilled but surprised to agree, and I shouldn't have been, but when I got to the Bulldogs, I didn't know a lot. They were quite a young squad at that stage, but Chris Grant, and I wish I'd coached Chris, Chris for longer. He was a star. Um, Westy, um, Jono. Luke Darcy, Rowan Smith, were just unbelievable role models. Mm. And their work rate and their their willingness to get the best out of themselves. And um, now that was now that was a real eye opener. And now it was fantastic for those guys. Why did you fall short at the at the doggies? Because they, like the teams and the names of the guys you've coached there, they're as good as any. Yeah, of, yeah, know. yeah. Grant Smith were gone. Were then so yeah. there was and Darcy didn't play because yeah. of his knees. So they had those five. It was, it was John O and, and, and Westy had finished too with his knees. Mm. So it was really only John O of those five. Um, it was a reasonably younger team to a degree and, and they came through together. So there wasn't any real superstars. John O was the superstar. Murph was just starting to develop. Um, Coons was, Cooney was just younger. Mm. Lakey had played pretty well. Um, but the rest were just really good players who maximise their ability, Gia and Lindsay Gilby and Mitch yeah. Hahn and uh, Ryan Hargraves, these type of guys. Um, so I, I think they just we just didn't execute when we just needed to. We had the opportunities in 09 to win it. I lost by six or seven points, I think. Um, the players was quite interesting. It might have turned out that way, but Ross Lyons said that after they lost to Geelong the next week in the grand final, he said, I know how the Bulldogs feel. Mm. I Meaning we probably deserve to win the preliminary final. Mm. We were quite confident against Geelong. We, the record was probably 4-2 their way. Yep. But we were quite confident. We we lost the first final in 09 against them by a couple of goals. We'll come, we gave them a start. So our, our group was quite a fit team. Yeah. Um, they, we, they, they were confident they could actually give a good showing and win that. So anyway, we didn't get there. What's your, um, I mean, what, what's your sense for the young, for the young players getting recruited and getting drafted now? Um, how different or how difficult is it, or would it be to coach those guys as opposed to the? Era's previous, previous. Yeah, each. Um, I always think generation change every ten years, but even longer early days. But it mm. probably changes every five years. Guys that are twenty three, twenty four now that I coached when they were eighteen are different to the eighteen year olds now. In five years, it's just changed dramatically. So, I suppose having coached for so long and coached through those eras, and even coached last year, coached eighteen year olds. Um, you just got to adapt and you really got to work out what's the outcome you want. It's not about yourself. You got to park your ego. It's not about you getting your views across and this is the way the world is according to whoever. It's about, well, I'm coaching Brad Sewell. He's an 18 year old lad. I've got to get to know him and what, 
what do I want to get out of him? I want to get him to be the best player he can be yeah. and how we get those protocols in place to do that and then fit into a team. Mm. So you coach them differently because they are different. They're wired differently. Uh, society's different. Um, and that was always my, always my coaching reference point. What do I? What's my role as a coach? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want the team to play well, and get, but it's to get the best out of that individual. And some of them you don't like because some of them are ordinary people. They've got very, and we'll, uh, okay, I can't let that, my personality affect because they lie, they yeah. take some things, they, well, no, they wouldn't do, they're not good team, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but you still come back to, okay, well, that's my role. My role is to still get the best out of the individual. So me as a coach, but then it might be delegation of, to an assistant coach who's got a better relationship with him. Listen, this is this is what we do. We need to get the best out of this individual and him to fall into the team, yeah. the team line. Do you enjoy watching footy now? Um, I haven't enjoyed footy for a few years, to be honest. I, I I'm a I'm an and people think because you're 60, year old, you're an old old hat. But I've always, as I said from a younger time always been an analytical thought about why's and wherefores and can it improve can we do better and yeah. people say the coaches have hijacked I don't think they've hijacked it they're just trying to win games so yeah. end of story so they're not hijacked it but then the other side is the coaches said well you should talk to us about where the game's headed because we've got the interest of the game at heart I, and I agree yes but they've got a different lens to everyone else mm-hmm. so they're wired differently so they think we need a contest, which we do, but they need to be defence. Well, do people want to see 36 and a quarter of the ground? Do they want to see yeah. 36 and a half of the ground? The most important stakeholder to me are the, are the supporters and the people who go to the footy and watch it on TV. They're the most important stakeholder, not the players, not the coaches, because if they don't go and they turn off, we're not getting as much money. We're in the entertainment business. It's changed. Yeah. The footy's changed. And... If we don't get a head around that, we'll actually start the wheel or go the other way. So there are so many competing interests, depending on which lens you just touched yep. on, which yep. lens you're looking through. Yep. Um, as a as a supporter, the AFL as an administrator, Channel yep. 7 as a broadcaster, yes. the AFLPA as the players. Yes. How do you amalgamate? How do you sort of bring all of those together? Together, and I mean, what's what's the outcome? What what should the game look be like? doing now? What yeah. should it look like? Well, I don't know the, the real answer. I've, I've got my thoughts, but I'm only one person as well. I've got a different lens, so yeah. I think we've they've set up this committee. I don't think this committee is going to work because you've got two coaches. Well, they can't represent 18 coaches because yeah. the 18 coaches don't agree. Two presidents not going to represent 18 presidents. Two players are not going to represent 700 players. Yeah. So there's going to be their opinions. Are they getting influenced by somebody else? I, what I would do, I would have a group of two or three people, and then go and interview all the coaches separately. But before you need to do that, I'll come back to that. It represent uh, interview the assistant coaches separately. Yeah. So they're not influenced by the senior coach. Yep. Rep- interview the presidents. Interview football managers somehow get a, a survey of supporters but ask the right questions don't put the answer in the question whenever we do reviews footy reviews of a footy club of the coach the answers are always in the question yep. and I reckon you're leading people down the path you've got to be able to say well these are these are my findings out of so this is what the coaches think they don't agree so okay park that and then get some consensus around 
generally what people with what themes that come yep. through. But first of all, we've got to work out who are the most important stakeholders. No, probably before that. What? Yeah. No, who's the most important stakeholders? And I put media along with. I include them in the supporters. Yep. Right. So interview the media, but interview ex-footballers as one part of the media, and interview other people yep. who aren't influenced by that. Who's got? I think it sometimes got an un- un- unadulterated view, yep. and not influenced by club allegiance or the way they played footy. Um, even though they've got good footy brains, Channel Seven. If Channel Seven say the viewership go down, are they going to pay her as much money next time? No way. So we've got to, you know, say, oh, we're controlled by money. Well, we are to a degree. If the money's not coming in, well, we'll go back to suburban footy. If that's what people want, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not criticising either way. Whatever the solution is, not the solution, but whatever the answer is, going with, I've got no problem. Mm. But let's not be biased about it and then put our head in the sand or have one view um, yeah. about it. And then uh, my, we, we can't go back to what the footy was in the 1890s or 2000s. Not going to have six, six, and six, as in six four, six backs. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's going, you can't make the game slow. Ask players to go slower. The genie's out of the bottle. As a coach, I can't say, Brad, what, team, how about we go eighty percent early? Can we can save our legs because there's ten rotations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can't. It's out of the bottle. But how, do we need to slow the game down? My view is that the most important demographic of our supporter base. If you put supporters as the most important, which I do, and the media is part of that, is the 15 to 30 year old males. Yep. Because they're the ones that are going to, this funnel of people who come in to watch footy. The old people, let's call them 40 plus, will criticise, bag the game, they need to do this, MRP, whatever, whatever, that's fine. They're, but they'll still be passionate about footy. Mm-hmm. The younger, the 12 year old less will go with their parents to the footy, love it. But it's the 14 to 15 year olds when they start to realise they've got their phones, they can get her out and about, they're, they're mobile, they've got money. Do I want to watch boring games? No, I'll go to something else. Uh, well, I won't watch it. I won't watch live telly. I've got my yeah. phone and I, I watch it. Don't want to watch ads. I'll do this. There will be a churn rate and they're the ones that turn off. So if we make the game too slow and too boring, they won't watch it. So what, what will the game look like in 10 to 15 years? got no idea it depends on the decision makers I my my vision view for the game yep and I'm a bit at cross odds with the coaches and I have been for a couple of years I don't think it should be a defensive game I don't think it should be super attacking either whatever we put in place the coaches and players will adapt to they'll they'll find ways around they're smart Mm. people Um, had a how to change it and modify it. Whatever changes we make, the AFL have got to be careful. What are the consequences of those rules? There's a cause and effect. If you put the, for an example, you put the interchange to 10 or 20, that may relieve congestion. It may. But coaches will find a way to take their time off the clock. They'll save the leg because, as I said, the genie's out of the bottle. Yep. And I can't ask players to go slow and save yourself. So they'll... Like at the moment, going inside 50, 
teams will kick it skinny to the pocket to the point post so we force a boundary so we can set up behind the ball. Yep. They'll do that around the ground so we can have a boundary throw it. They'll get a pack on the wing. They won't try and change direction as much. Won't try and take the game on because then they'll go hard for 10 minutes. Then they'll slow the game down mm-hmm. because a Cyril Rioli is not going to survive, unfortunately, a type who's got hamstring injuries playing on the ground all the time if he can't rotate off. He will get more injuries. Yeah. It only makes sense because you can't ask Cyril to go slow. So when it's time, his time to go, he'll go because it's innate in him. Yep. So we've got to be careful of that. Um, so therefore, and I think there'll be more blowouts. Your teams that you played in and, and after Hawthorne, when we get fatigued, we make more errors. It's human nature. Yep. Hawthorne won't make the errors. There'll be more blowouts. So they'll even enough to three quarter time they win by eight goals. Yeah. Do we want to see that? And that's a that's a re- that's a real thing that'll happen. No doubt in my mind. Yeah. So we've got to give what we wish for and we've got to investigate yeah. more. My view of what the game should look like is a bit more positional play but not back to six. Not 36 around the ball is a ball up or a throw in the back pocket that yeah. there's 36 in a quarter of the ground. It's in a quarter. They set their structures and all that. So I think we need to alleviate that. And the interesting thing was the Brisbane Mm. Um, Collingwood game yeah. Nathan Cedar didn't like to defend so we didn't defend well we didn't but geez, it was a good game of footy yeah. to watch yeah. there was enough pressure and blokes were making mistakes but yeah. you know, we like we've got to work out what do we want to see in a game now it's not going to happen every week we know that we're not going to control that but coaches and players will adapt whatever they bring into um, you mentioned you're not necessarily sentimental um, you, you don't really you don't love the game per se now are you enjoying being out of the game, Are you enjoying I, I, being a bit more, yeah, bit more I, relaxed. I have to qualify. I, I, I do love the game. I love yeah. the game, but I think that the game can be tinkered with to make it a bit more appealing. I'm not so much worried about me. I also watch it. Yep. It's uh, it's the other people that you're hearing and people are telling you. You're going, well, can't be bothered going anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to watch. I'm scared that they'll watch marquee games and don't watch teams that are yep. tenth to 18th and they won't turn on yeah. and um, therefore crowds drop um, what was your question <laughs> <laughs> you don't um, sentimental you, I mean you're not, you're not necessarily sentimental no. um, uh, give or take the way that the game is played I mean you're not involved no, in the routine that? and the rigour and the professional yeah. aspects of the game for the first time in god how many 40 years how many 40, yeah, 40 odd years What's it like? Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it. I was, yeah. I was walking here today from my office in the city, and I said, I'm enjoying not thinking about, she was, we've got to win this week, or where we, what can happen? We've got injuries, and uh, we've got et cetera, et cetera. Or what are yeah. the media? Yeah. Wake up on a Monday morning, oh, you're going to get heavily criticised mm. and bagged, and or a player is, and you have to then work on that, that it's issue it's with a player. High, it's pretty high octane. It to, is. to operate at, the, at that level yeah. and for as long as you have and to just to step off that off the, off the treadmill. treadmill yeah um, I suppose I can get them a fix a little bit at the ball but that's very yeah. minor and doing some media work and uh, watching games I must admit I'm enjoying watching um, actually actually just sitting down and relaxing and not being an emotional attachment you still yeah. got the coach's lens about what to, I always even I go to a local game I was, what are the what are the team trying to do yeah. what are they trying to achieve now Oh, they're, now they're, you know, last week watching North Melbourne in the first five minutes you can see what they're trying to do you pick that up that yeah. pattern pretty well straight away yeah. and, um, but I'm enjoying not having to watch it 
or watch a half and go um, in and out of the room or have to go somewhere or at the win-loss taken out of the emotion taken out yeah I'm enjoying that part it, it, I mean it's it's not comparable at all four years I've been out and it, that team camaraderie going to seeing your mates every day being so goal orientated mm. um, and the competitive aspect mm. of that you don't miss that at all I miss the camaraderie yeah. I, I miss people said you miss being involved yep. I don't miss the coaching aspect at league level because yep. it's all encompassing um, but I miss being involved with a with a group that really wants to achieve and go and then having some assistance and help with that mm-hmm. so what my role at Collingwood was previously I enjoyed that so that type of situation, that, that being involved in a footy cup, yeah, yeah, I certainly do. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly involve, uh, miss that involvement. What was your most enjoyable year, gee, and why? Gee, that's an interesting question. Uh, there's so many of them I can't bloody remember. Uh, as coaching, you mean? Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed my first year because we made the grand final yeah. out of nowhere, and that was like fairy tale stuff. Uh, I enjoyed. I enjoyed 06 at the Bulldogs mm-hmm. um, and 09. Uh, they were really enjoyable years. Um, yeah, they're probably probably the, yeah. the three that stand out for um, you know, 06 in Bulldogs after getting there when it's you know, struggled for quite a while and we nearly made it in 05 and then to make it in 06 as a as a natural improvement yep. uh, was, was good, was enjoyable. We'll, we'll wrap things up. Shortly, Rocket, but I'm just going to read out a couple of names and I want you to spit out the first word that comes to your mind. <laughs> All right? Yep. We'll start with Tony Lockett. You're thinking... I am thinking. No, I don't, the idea is not the thing. Okay. Grumpy. <laughs> uh, Paul Kelly. Star. Adam Goods. Thinking man. Michael O'Loughlin. Star. Dermot. Kid. Dunstall. Pig. <laughs> Dermot or Dunstall. Dermot. Barry Hall. Kind hearted. Luke Darcy. Strong minded. Jason Ackermanis. Enigma. Adam Cooney. Funny. Brian Lake. Uh, I don't think of the word. I'm, I know what the word. I'm I mean, trying you can to swear. We can beep <laughs> it out. We get the gist of it. Uh, doesn't care. <laughs> Gary Blit Jr. Oh, great player. Teacher's pet. Teacher's pet. Um, teacher's pet's uh, uh, probably a mix between Lindsay Gilby and Matthew Boyd. Yep. Um of those that you coached, who would you have most liked to have played alongside? Paul Kelly. And Brad Johnson. And John. Who was the best you played with? Oh, Lee Matthews. He's the best player I've seen in my 40 years. Daylight, second. No, not Daylight, but the best three that I've seen, and I, and I mentioned some great players with Lockett and Kelly and that, but best three still were um, uh, Lee, Duck, yeah, I was involved in North for three, yeah. four years, so I've seen him firsthand. And Gary Abbott Senior, Gary Abbott Senior is the most talented player I've seen in my time. Mm-hmm. But he's not the best player I've seen. Uh, Lee for his consistency. We had Ferris in a team that had a lot of success. 
be able to consistently do at his high level. And what he was able to, Blake who couldn't kick on his left and didn't handle. It was a, it was a freak. Not bad. But, uh, but out of all that, it's interesting. I, I heard Lee, uh, one of the media guy, Ashley Brown, who's a Hawthorne man, phoned me up the other day and, yeah. and was doing an article for the footy record, grand final footy record. And he spoke to Lee and Lee said they can't believe that, and I've been big on it for that people don't mention Peter Knights. Peter Knights is the most underrated superstar that I've ever seen. Yeah. He, he should be up. He, he should have won two Brownlows. He's only won one best and fairest and probably could have won four or five. I know Tucky mm. finished runner up eight times, but Peter Knights is, he'd be a superstar today and he was a superstar then. He yeah. was, he wasn't, but people don't mention him. He doesn't get mentioned in dispatches at all, the old players. Yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's up in my best four or five Hawthorne bloke players ever. He's a star. Best advice you're given? Be yourself. Um, what, what was your favourite coaching cliche? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Jim, I've had caught up with the Bulldogs what? players last year, yeah. and, that, and then they come up with a couple, and then they bet my mannerisms. They took the P1 S out of me, and it was quite funny. But um, who, who does the who does the best rocket impersonation? Uh, Lindsay Gilby was very good at it. <laughs> and, I, and you say when it's quite confronting when you go, you go, might really like that. <laughs> um, Robert Murphy uh, and I laughed about it because. Um, because I'm quite jovial yeah. during a week, and uh, but when I was serious, I'd grab a bloke on the on the just below the elbow and come here, son. Yeah. And they'd all laugh. They'd all they did that. But also in the gym, they go, "Oh, he's in trouble. He's gone." <laughs> <laughs> um, when when was the last time you cried? Last time I cried. Because uh, I'm quite an emotional person mm. underneath. Yeah, and. Um, I'll have tears at a, at a sad movie or something like that. So I get into that sort of stuff. But as a, a real cry, probably my dad's funeral. Yeah. Be, uh, but I'll, I'll sit there, oh, my daughter, you got tears, Dad. Always a sad story, so <laughs> get me, a bit of a tearjerker. And of course, now that you're out of football, you've, you've got your own podcast, The Rocket Files. Yes, my dear, doing that with Mark Stevens, so that's, that's going well. Yep. Um, uh, getting the... Starting getting some hits and that, get some good feedback on that. So it's more of the trying to do it differently to other media. So more of a coaching slant and yep. what teams are doing and why they're doing it. Yep. Not trying to be controversial or critical as such. Um, and uh, yeah, and doing some other media. Got radio yep. Mondays and doing some things with Fox yep. and different stuff. And of course, you're managing director facing changes. Well. Yeah, so I started uh, a company uh, with a guy called Jeff Slade, who's been in business mm. in Melbourne for 50 years. Um, uh, just on corporate speaking, um, learning and development, and training for for corporations and businesses yep. and the leadership culture, uh, but facing themed around change because the world's changing that quickly and how to embrace change and, I suppose, change management and challenge the status quo, even though are doing well. And I think, just back to football now, I think Clarko does that better than anyone else, um, uh, winning premierships, but then still prepared to change the game plan to head, mm. of the, head of the pack. So, yeah, so along those themes. No doubt about that, Rocket. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, thanks Bradley. For, uh, Good, thanks for the time. No worries, you talk to a good Ballarat boy. There are not many around. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking footy.